Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. I remind you that the weekly update in its entirety is available minutes after its completion in the NSN app. Go to the uh, weekly update section in the archive section of the NSN app, and you'll know what I mean. Malcolm Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Did you say you were running in the marathon? Not a chance. I don't even know if I'm brave enough to walk the beginning of the marathon. Uh, um, All right, Young Israel of Oceanside, correct? That's the place tonight and tomorrow to hear Malcolm Honline expound and expand on what he says this morning on JM and the AM, correct? I give the Rashi on what I say today, right. Young Israel of Oceanside, tonight and tomorrow, Malcolm Honline will be there. Make sure to be tuned in if you're in the Young Israel of Oceanside to his important words. Boy, there's a lot of important stuff going on. Uh, Malcolm, it's incredible what happens in the span of a week. You would argue, of course, that things change minute to minute already at this at this point in our history. But a, a week later, and it's just so obvious that the enemy, and maybe at the urging of the head of the PA, and that's something I wish you would address, has taken the battle straight to the Israeli soldiers. They are obviously very concerned, it looks like, very concerned about worldwide opinion and reaction when people go on these uh, stabbing sprees through major cities and against regular civilians, and now they're heading to Judea and Samaria and specifically to Israeli soldiers. Is this the right assessment of what the enemy is doing right now? Well, I think that they, they do understand and have been getting a lot of pressure from the international community uh, about the uh, damping down the violence, what's interesting to me is how much the, they've heard from the Arab world about, um, about the violence and, and putting the onus on Abbas to do things to, to start controlling it. And the, um, uh, even the King of Jordan, after the meetings in Amman, came out very strongly calling on Abbas to, to do more and to stop the incitement. Uh, the, the question of whether they can really control it, whether they know who the next target is going to be, is, uh, is a question we can't answer because we haven't yet, we don't know yet if there is a centralized system of, of activation and through the incitement, are they in fact uh, targeting particular audiences? Today, the stabbing victims were not soldiers. Uh, one was the Yeshiva boy, there were two uh, wounded victims from the attack this afternoon in Yerushalayim. Right. So I think it's... But today, but today in one case... Yeah, but today in one case it does affirm the Judea and Samaria part of the argument. Yes. Right. This, the other one was in Yerushalayim. Right, understood. Uh, and this has been, and I think you just said it in your words, but just to make it clear to everybody, this has been at the urging of the head of the PA, correct? Well, there's no doubt that, that Abbas constant references to Al-Aqsa being under siege, that saying that there's a change in the status quo. And then two, two other things this week. One was that the French proposal for um, uh, talks between Netanyahu and Abbas, which Netanyahu accepted, and once again, Abbas, as he did last year, uh, still unanswered the uh, request from the United States and other efforts to bring the parties together. He has rejected them. That's on one thing. And the second thing was that out of the discussions that Secretary Kerry had with Prime Minister Netanyahu in Germany and then in, uh, in Amman with King Abdullah and, and President Abbas, the suggestion emerged of having cameras uh, on the Temple Mount that would 
then determine and be able to monitor if there, in fact, is a change in the status quo. Israel accepted the proposal and, in fact, uh, added to it, it augmented the original idea and said, let it be live streaming, let it go on the Internet, let everybody see what's really happening up there, who's violating the status quo, who's piling up rocks inside the mosque and use it to bring in weapons, who's harassing the tourists and people who go up on there, who's praying there, who's not. Let the world see it. We have nothing to hide. And it was what the Prime Minister said and others said. And Abbas and the Palestinians rejected <laughs> because they don't want the world to see the truth and to see that, that what he has been saying, uh, which unfortunately is accepted by very broad swaths of the people, the Palestinians, uh, in various studies that were done, including of Israeli Arabs, who have bought into the to the propaganda lies, which uh, are constantly being thrown at them from uh, uh, from the various internet and other sources, uh, which they have access to. So majorities, you know, buy into the idea that there's a change in the status quo and that they they, they want to destroy the Al Aqsa Mosque, etc. And the, the, so the, these were only two of the many developments that we could talk about um, of what they call the Naifada. That's what they're calling it now. The Naifada, right. Because uh, it isn't the Intifada. You don't see the broad-based, uh, what do we call it, popular uprising, I think is how they translated right. Intifada last time. Um, so they... they uh, uh, and it reflects many other changes, which which I think have to be studied carefully. Uh, and if you read some of the writings of the Palestinians and some of the of the Israeli Arab uh, uh, leaders, that uh, that one of them who wrote an interesting piece by some Tawil, that this is really a jihad. Mm-hmm. He said this is a holy war. Don't call it intifada. This is this wave of terrorism is a jihad. And the attacks on Jews, whether in Israel or in the Shtachim or in the settlements or anywhere else, are part of the global jihad yeah. that they say is Yeah, but in response to the jihad, I always wonder if it's a good idea to even engage in the argument about the change in the status quo. I wonder if that's a sign of weakness. You know, as a lot of people ponder, and we have Chayasara coming up next week, we know what's been happening in Hebron, I'm sure... The people there are, you know, very concerned about security, etc. Probably, I probably, I'm just assuming. There's only an assumption. You know, are not sure exactly how to handle next Shabbos, and in general, big crowds gathering in Israel. I'm sure it's an issue in a lot of different places. I just, I, I, I don't know what the proper response is to all of this, and what the proper response should be when, when we are being challenged, or when Israel is being challenged on the issue of the status quo, for example. Sometimes I feel that it, it's beneath the people of Israel to even address the issue. Do you know what I mean? I understand completely what you mean, and uh, frankly, it sometimes bothers me as well that uh, about the nature of how this is interpreted and why we have to apologize for Jews and Christians and others going up on the Temple Mount without praying, not being allowed to pray, and setting so many restrictions on ourselves. Uh, But now that the charge is out there and and you see how many people around the world are buying into it and, and using this to justify the scores of attacks that have taken place. You know, when you, you, we don't read about many of the attacks that, uh, uh, that, that have taken place, because often there, if there's no fatality, it's often ignored, or if there isn't a serious uh, injury, 
But the fact is that there are many that have been prevented. That's why the Palestinian death toll is, is uh, higher. And people always say, well, it's not balanced. There are less Israelis dead because Israelis aren't going around trying to stab people. Yeah, exactly. And when Israelis did, they took action against them. You know that an Arab member of the Knesset went up to uh, Harabai yeah, this violation week. Violation of of uh, the rule that the government put down that nobody should go up, and and this is part of the uh, another thing that bothered me is that when we set rules and said that that uh, that members of the government Knesset members, it has to apply to all Knesset members. There shouldn't be exceptions, and it was a provocative act on his part. And we'll have to see what consequences the Knesset can come up with to. Uh, to show that they're serious in the same way that the international community has to show that, that we're serious. And I think that's why uh, Netanyahu agreed to the cameras and, and other things, because Israel has to show and can show very rightly that the, the, where the provocations are coming from. So I assume there were, there were no repercussions for that Arab MK, right? Well, he was rebuked by the prime minister, but I don't know that there was any uh, sanction yet uh, against him, but it, it's, you know, w- w- we have to see. It's still early. One of the things that was interesting, I don't know if you saw that Lenny, that David came up with, uh, who's been monitoring all these photographs uh, that came out of uh, archives that have been uh, looked at, Library of Congress and others, that in 1927 there was a, an earthquake that affected Yerushalayim, and Al-Aqsa Mosque was uh, seriously damaged. And during the years of renovation, the photographers went there and uh, went under the mosque, not only into it, and they documented all the mosaics, the passageways, the cisterns, and even lumber that was apparently part of, of the Beis Hamikdash. <laughs> ancient thing. And it had been on display uh, at the uh, Harabayat, uh, just laying there, um, even re- in recent years. Nobody knows where it is now. And the mufti, um, the current mufti of Jerusalem, and interesting in view of all of the dis- discussions of the, his predecessor uh, during World War II, right. he, he said last week that Al-Aqsa was built 3,000 years ago, <laughs> and since the creation of the world, in fact. And he said there never was a Jewish temple or a shrine on Temple Mount, and et cetera, even though all of this proof exists, and and... You know, Islam didn't exist 3,000 years ago. You know, it's interesting. We are the only people that have any proof to any of this and that have now, because of the archaeological genius that we see, you know, going on, and you, you, every time you go to Israel, you find out more and more about this. We're the only ones who, as a people, as a tradition, as a religion, can lay claim to any of this for that length of time. And yet, <laughs> we, are, we are the ones that end up being on the defensive compared to the other religions and certainly, obviously, compared to Islam. All of the archaeological finds only confirm they may move geographic, uh, say that the, the boundaries of the city of David in David's time was here, was there. But all of the discoveries, all the things they're digging up, confirm the biblical accounts and confirm the legitimacy of the, of the Jewish claim. There was, in fact, an interesting campaign going on about declaring uh, the Jews to be the indigenous people. There was a resolution introduced at the World Zionist Congress, <laughs> and shockingly, there was opposition to it. <laughs> uh, maybe not so shockingly. <laughs> Look at who some of the groups were, uh, the, the Israel Fund, the J Street, and other back groups. Um, 
to, to the claim that Jews are indigenous to this area, that you know, they're trying to say we're interlopers, and, and here is the fact that there's no people on earth who speak the same language, have the same religion, read the same Torah, do, you know, have uh, the same language as their ancestors 3,000 years ago in the same place. So who's more indigenous to an area than the Jews are to Israel? And this, you know, when you have these committees at the UN on the indig- indigenous people and their rights, and whether it's aboriginals and others, well, guess who fits in there? It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. By the way, I mean, I, again, I don't know to what level the Arab MK was rebuked, but Sibi Chotavelli, when she made her, when she didn't visit, but just made her opinion known about the Temple Mount, she was really rebuked, and there were rumors that she would have to be thrown out of the Knesset. Yeah, but it hasn't stopped her from continuing to make uh, to make statements, uh, not just about our advice, but about virtually everything. Well, I don't know, you know, from her political position, I don't know if that's such a bad thing, frankly. Right, it hasn't stopped her. Understood, understood. Right. Right, so you might recommend that as Deputy Foreign Minister, one has to be very careful how and what they say. Yes. All right, understood. Um, um, there is a... There is an article that I saw that claimed that BB now in an effort to come together with the Jewish left... Uh, after the whole Iran deal, et cetera, et cetera, on the, uh, on the 10th of November, we'll be speaking for the Center for American Progress. Is he, in fact, going to use this opportunity as he visits uh, the President of the United States and goes through this, this journey in the U.S. Uh, at the beginning of November to try to mend some of these fences? Well, I certainly think that uh, that is part of the reason. He, he accepted his speaking engagement at AEI, in Washington, which is a right-wing group, and I think to balance it, they are going to cap it. It's not without controversy. There are people who, who think that uh, it's a mistake because some of their their resident scholars have been uh, less than friendly, and it's you know it's a very left uh, entity. But in fact, that's the constituency he wants to reach out to to try and and win back. And if you don't you know confront them where they are, then then you're not going to be able to reach them. So I think it's it's a question of balance. It's a question um, that you will see uh, addressed in different formats, reaching out to Democrats, reaching out to others. I think they will try to put aside a lot of the hostility of the uh, and some of the co- controversies of the last few months that the Prime Minister, both in his public remarks and he'd be making a couple of other speeches too, but mostly in his meeting with the the President. I think both sides uh, want this to come out uh, in a positive way. And you see the uh, Yalom this week, who was in, in Washington, the defense minister, uh, said that you know, the conflict over the Iran thing is behind us. It's over. We're moving on. They are looking for areas of cooperation. Uh, I'm not going to say that uh, this is uh, the tensions of these last schools are just going to go away. But I think it's very important that we, again, make sure that Israel is seen as a bipartisan issue. There are a lot of things coming up, including the memo of understanding the ten year, next 10 years of, um, hopefully, 
of the defense uh, appropriation, what the American government will commit to as a minimum. Until now, it was $3.1 billion a year. Hopefully, it will go up, given the uh, new circumstances, especially after the Iran deal. So I think, uh, overall, this will be an attempt to put things back on track. As, uh, as far as you know, the new Speaker of the House has not invited him to address Congress, right? Come on, that was a great line. That was a very good God, thank you very much there, Malcolm. I appreciate that. (laughs) But that's why also what I said is that everybody be careful right now, especially when they speak in Washington, because the media just jumps on anything that they say, regardless of whether there was was nothing inappropriate about it. But people have to be careful right now because, you know, he is trying to put things back on track. You want, uh, as they deal with situations like in Syria, like the escalating involvement of Iran, the flow of weapons, the Russians flying Syrian uh, uh, weapons in for Iran twice a day now, they admit. I mean, we have so many uh, issues where the United States and Israel are on the same side in principle, but have to translate that. There are massive, uh, a a massive exercise today in Israel uh, of the air forces of the United States, Israel, uh, Greece, uh, Poland, others, and with many other countries. Right. And I, I got to get to Russia and Syria, and we will in a second, but but you, you raised such a, you, you talked about a moment ago, the memo of understanding, cooperation, U.S. and Israel. You've told us a lot about this topic and reassured us a lot over the last few months and years, really. What about, and people ask me this in light of the uh, incidents in Israel, what is the status of PA security cooperation with Israel at this point? Is, is there? I mean, I, I would assume on a case by case basis, it, it 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 it's altered on a case by case basis. So I would assume, but is there a, a way to generally describe that it has to be some type of cooperation between the two security authorities, between the two police forces? Am I right or wrong? You're right, and the answer is in one word, good. It is good, and maybe in two words, not good. But in one word, good. Huh. And and uh, it's a question I ask. Uh, visiting Israeli officials over the last couple of days just to verify because we had heard varying accounts. Uh, but the fact is that on the ground activities between uh, the Palestinian security forces, uh, co- coordination with Israel has been good. I tell you, hard to believe sometimes, but I know sometimes I've been to Israel and you know, and you, you see the facts on the ground, the type of cooperation that's going on. You, you can't believe sometimes the way the Israelis are cooperating, but I guess to a degree that happens the other way around as well. So. And there are raids all the time going on. Every, almost every night there were arrests, uh, I think, during the, the, the night before. But uh, also they have to understand that in the bottom line that the, the Palestinians are worried about things too. You know, there's a new supposedly a new Palestinian terror group um, that is backed by Iran called uh, Al-Sabirin, which is uh, mostly uh, former Palestinian Islamic Jihad members, but they supposedly already have 400 members, and one of their top leaders was killed uh, two weeks ago. But they say that Iran has been giving them new types of weapons, more advanced weapons, including uh, Grad and Fajar missiles Hmm. and that stuff. So this is a threat. You know, to the to the Palestinians, so the cooperation, you know, serves their purpose uh, as well uh, as it does uh, obviously Israel. Right. Do you know when people ask me, and I don't know if you're the same way, 
to line up Iran, Syria, ISIS, and Russia. Give me the sides. Give me the, the give me the you know who's against who. Do you know it's impossible to do that? It's uh, it's improbable. It's uh, it is it is very difficult. And if you remember, many years ago, I told you that, that to understand the Syrian war, it's like an onion. You have to peel layer after layer. Right. That this isn't a war between Assad and the rebels. It was a war between Sunnis and Shiites, between um, uh, you know Christians, Alawites, Sunnis, Shiites, uh, Druze, Huranis, and it's in part because. Syria was not a, a real country. It was an artificial construct of the colonial powers in the Sykes-Picot Agreement who, who created uh, what is in the, we know as Syria. And now we see the disintegration, as we do in Libya, which was not a, a real country. And in, inside, if you just look at some of the reports, the things that we monitor, um, the, the conflict in the Middle East today that I think is underestimated, is between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And it's being manifested in many places, like in Yemen, right. which is completely a war between Saudi Arabia and Iran, but also in, uh, in uh, Syria, and that's why I think the talks are going to be very hard, because these two uh, are at each other's throats, and it has much broader implications that we can talk about. But Hezbollah, for instance, is fighting, is very committed, has perhaps 6,000 people there. They've lost well over a thousand sold, uh, of their fighters, and interestingly, in last week, uh, the, uh, there's an elite El Radwan battalion that is being decimated, and I heard even faces disintegration because it's lost many of its key commanders, and the um, uh, the, the FSA, the Free Syrian Army, thinks that Hezbollah lost uh, about 1,263 men. In recent uh, in the recent fighting and you know, over the last I guess year or two, um, and the the and if you go through all the numbers, you know that it, the IRGC lost 20 people in the last week in in the fighting in Syria, and they have thousands on the ground. Nobody knows the exact number, but uh, some have estimated two to three thousand uh, fighters under Iranian control. But they are getting more and more directly involved. So the sides are that. Right now, it's the Syrian government with Iran and Russia against the, the rebels who are loosely affiliated but not really court, uh, together with uh, al-Qaeda and al-Nusra and the other uh, uh, groups that are fighting. So you, you don't have clear-cut sides. You have multifaceted sides. And you have al-Nusra, for instance, in the Golan and in different places, different uh, groups are fighting each other. But the coordination is today uh, between the Syrian army, Russia, and they're mostly focused on Damascus and Aleppo, but they've been bombing homes. They bombed other areas. And the Russians are using, uh, the majority of the weapons they're using do not have real good guidance systems. So they're really meant as, as weapons of terror. They kill indiscriminately. And uh, you don't hear the world rising up and, outrage and indignation no that's for sure and, and those and those that they are fighting together russia and syria those rebels that they're fighting are isis or are not isis or could be isis it's both they the the russians uh, said that they would fight isis but in fact probably 75 percent 80 percent of the bombs they're using are against rebels because their main goal is to keep assad in power 
consolidate their control, especially over the area around Masakia where they have a big base. And Holmes is important because it controls the roads and the access both to that area, to the southern uh, area. Uh, and uh, so Russia has its goals. Iran obviously wants to keep Assad in power above all, but they want to try and get closer to, to the Golan. And we know that there were some bombings uh, taking place closer to the Golan area, and something Israel monitors very carefully. The, uh, uh, so the, the Russians, who would have a real interest in bombing the ISIS, because there are hundreds of people from Dagestan uh, and from Chechnya and other areas, and, and the Russians have their own Islamist problem, they are bought off by their aid to Iran, and now again their involvement in, in Syria to a degree. But most of their bombing raids have been against um, uh, have, have been against the rebels that we know, the Syrian army and other rebel groups. Russia has a Muslim population whose birth rate is three times that of the Russian population, the general population, and they have a real problem in recruitment in their military, which but in this decade will be 40% Muslim itself. Right. And how would you describe Israel's fear up north then? Sometimes, you know, when you, when you see those close to you in that situation over the border fighting with each other, sometimes countries take comfort in that. Obviously, Israel has its eyes and ears open up there. What are they most concerned about? That the groups unite, that, the, uh, that they use attacks against Israel, a way of uniting the people, the different uh, conflicting forces, that uh, uh, Russia is able to establish a real presence, um, uh, Iran is able to establish a real presence close to the Golan. Right now, it's the al-Nusra groups that are along the border have been, have been fighting against the uh, other forces and beat them back, actually, a coalition of the Syrian army, Hezbollah, and IRGC. Uh, so because they're tied up in other areas, but this, Iran has always said that this is their defense border, uh, i.e. the Syrian-Lebanese border with Israel. And that is, I think, the big concern to them is, is seeing them build up a capacity there of them supplying weapons to, and more and more advanced weapons to uh, Hezbollah, the fact that they're able to fly them in in violation of the sanctions, uh, that the Russians are flying in Iranian uh, uh, weapons all the time. These are the, the major concerns because you, you open up a frontier and you build up their capacity and you know they now have uh, these drones, which if you remember we spoke about, mm -hmm. which carry um, grenades, right. rocket-propelled grenades, and they've been using them effectively in some of the fighting and been able to you know, bring them in and hit targets, civilian targets in the various places. The fear is that this goes to Hezbollah then, and they can use it across the border with, with Israel. Right, God forbid, boy. And we don't have an Iron Dome for that yet, huh? <laughs> no, you try to shoot it down, but the... The point is that it underscores just the concern about, right. you know, getting letting Iran get too close to the border, too integrated into their, their forces, integrated into the into the zones that border Israel. And we know that there was there was increased fighting near the Golan this week. Right. Uh, finally, Mr. Honline, um, a a difficult topic for me to bring up, especially in my. Uh, a mission here of as much Jewish unity as possible, so I will say this in as, as sensitive a way as possible. Um, you've emphasized for us how important it is for people to be very careful with their public words 
Um, even if an article is written tongue-in-cheek, I don't think anybody identified as being a Jew should encourage or discourage the enemy in a public forum from killing or not killing certain groups of Jews. And I'll expound if you don't know what I'm referring to, but I figured you do know. Um, it may, maybe just remind everybody how dangerous this is and how our enemies, no matter how we view each other, never see the difference between us? They don't see the difference between us. The, the enemy is the existence of the Jewish people. If anything, the focus on Harabayit, on the Temple Mount, and on, on uh, Kevarachel, and on Maratamachpelah, should underscore that to everybody, that it's a war against the Jewish people, it's a war against the Jewish state, it's a war against Jewish history, and they make no distinction. And, you know, people always have to be careful, and all of us can fall in the trap, and we say things, and then they get misinterpreted and misrepresented. So you always have to think, you try to think two or three times about what you say and about how it can be misconstrued and misused. And a time when, you know, I was in the White House this week and things, you know, were said to me about uh, stuff, and I, I thank God could answer most of it. But people always have to be careful, and whether you're an official or whether, you know, you, you write stuff. And because of the Internet today, especially, everything goes viral. And by the time people read it, there's the, the humor and the context can be completely lost. And the... Um, and, you know, given the, the nature of all of the challenges that we face, the one thing we can't do today is divide ourselves. And that's why we did the Shabbat of Solidarity, which I have to thank you for letting us put in the air, because it was so electric to see the response in less than 48 hours all over the, the world. I mean, amazing uh, response and, the, and spontaneous and, and by and large. And many young people on campuses and other places uh, doing this job of solidarity with the people of Israel uh, two weeks ago, uh, and then followed last week by uh, this amazing Shabbat uh, around the world, I guess. So we've got to focus on what we have in common, and people, and that's why I made the comment earlier that ministers especially, and people who are in important positions, even if it is their position, when, when they say things that appear to extol, uh, to, to um, put forward a policy that the government does not agree with. And I know how upset the Prime Minister was by some of these comments because it compromises all of them and then it's used against us. Yeah. And the, the, um, you know, the challenges that we have right now in Europe, you have the influx of hundreds of thousands of people, many of whom bear virulently anti-Semitic points of view, those coming from Syria and other places. And this has been tested. I'm not saying something... Uh, you know, just uh, haphazardly, this is this is a real concern, especially in Germany. I know where they've gone to the government about it. That you have all of these uh, hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants that they're trying to integrate and creating parallel societies in in many cases, uh, and that they have little contact some of the, uh, these immigrants with mainstream uh, German society. Yet they're you know coming with these deeply ingrained anti-Semitic attitudes. So we need all the resources and all of our firepower to be able to deal with all of the uh, multiple issues. And so I urge everybody, just be careful with what you say. Think about the consequences of it. It doesn't say not to be critical or not to be to express your points of view. And people have done amazing things during the, the months of the 
debates and the, the Iran issue and, and many other things, and we shouldn't be put down and, and told that we lost, we didn't. It's not true. Yeah, and if you see how the and if you see how the enemy has used some of this material, you'll understand why it's so dangerous. Exactly right. Um, young Israel of Oceanside tonight and tomorrow with Malcolm Honline. Enjoy everybody, um, and uh, I wish you a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll reconvene Bezrat Hashem next week. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.